0: Okay, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, some passages from Acts chapter 1 and 2. It is Pentecost Sunday, and we do want to uh, focus our attention on this wonderful event. And I'm just going to open with a word of prayer here as we commit our time to Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And though we might not be together in person, Lord God, you are with us wherever we're watching. And so, would you just fill our living rooms, would you just fill the spaces that we're in as we're listening to the truth? Lord, let your word go forth. Thank you, Father God, for your truth that it builds us up. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the the two greatest birthdays in history are when Jesus was born, which of course we celebrate at Christmas time, and then the second greatest uh, birthday is when the church was born. And that's when we celebrate the birth of the church, and today we celebrate that uh, at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so I wanna start off by reading three blocks of scripture to us to refresh our memories and to sort of put ourselves back into that moment 2000 years ago when the Holy Spirit was poured out. So in Acts chapter one, the author Luke is writing this book. And for those of you that have been working on your Bible literacy, you know that Luke was a physician, he was a doctor, very intelligent man, loved the Lord, and uh, he wrote two books. One was the Gospel of Luke, and then this book here called the Book of Acts. And he wrote it specifically to a man named Theophilus, and we don't actually know from history who Theophilus was, but God used uh, that audience for Luke to really put together a very accurate account of what was going on. And so we pick up the, uh, the, the story here in verse 1. The first account I composed, and Luke is referring to his gospel. Now this is the second work that he's writing to Theophilus. about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, as in the apostles, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is creating an anticipation. He's going to go to the right hand of the Father. He's telling the apostles, just stay here. Don't do anything. Don't minister, but wait on me. And so when they had come together, they were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? So the apostles are thinking there's going to be now the full reign of Christ on earth. And so they're anticipating this, but Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So now the scene shifts to the upper room. And we read these next verses here, starting in verse 12. When they, again the apostles, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. Not the Judas that betrayed Jesus, but the second Judas that was part of the team of 12. In verse 14, it says, These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, of course, um, this scene is is given to us, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And remember now, the four brothers of Jesus did not believe in him during his ministry, but now they've come around, and they are part of this group in the upper room. Waiting there, day one, day three, day five, day seven, day ten, this is what we read then in chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had come, penta means 50, so 40 days where Jesus showed many convincing proofs plus the 10 days of waiting 50 days had come. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting like the sound of a hurricane. You've ever been in a tornado or heard a hurricane it's just this massive sound. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Now we're not talking about like in imagined tongues, we're talking about physical manifestations of flames coming on the heads of the hundred twenty. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there was now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred the crowd came together and they were bewildered Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? So Jerusalem is a very international city. The nations are there. All of a sudden, they're drawn to this building where the disciples are because of the tornado, the sound that came. And they're looking at these uneducated Galileans who don't know another language, but they're hearing The glory of God being preached. And so they're stunned and they're amazed. And then the Bible goes on here to describe all the different nations that heard what was going on. The Parthians, and the Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Altogether, there's 15 different nations, districts that are listed here. And verse 12 says, they all continued in amazement. So this was a picture, a foretaste of what Jesus said in Matthew 28, that the gospel will be preached to all nations. Up to this point, the gospel was just in this little nation of Israel. But God says this truth of the kingdom is going to be spread out. And now in Jerusalem, we have a little foretaste because the nations are hearing it for the first time. So the title of my message this morning is, That Glorious Day. So 2,000 years ago, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the church was ignited and it all began when God poured out the Holy Spirit on 120 humble followers waiting on God in the upper room. That started a fire that has continued to this day. You and me, we're sitting here in the sanctuary, in our rooms, in our cars, in our apartments, in Jesus' name because of what God did with those precious 120 Believers seeking the face of God. The big picture is we're now part of 2.2 billion Christians, the largest religion in the world. More than Islam, more than Buddhism, more than secularism. And it all started in Jerusalem during a morning prayer meeting. I think when we think of prayer, we normally think of an evening prayer meeting, but this happened during the morning at 9 a.m. And it represented the third consecutive revival to hit Israel. When Pastor John finished the the book of Malachi and the Minor Prophets, the scripture tells us that Israel went into 400 years of prophetic silence. That's like not having a preacher for 400 years. And people must have thought, what is going on? Where is God? Think of all the generations that lived for 400 years and there was no prophetic voice. But then God sent John the Baptist, who obviously was thundering out of the wilderness. People were going to the River Jordan to be baptized and the nation was spiritually woken up only to be then succeeded by Jesus, the second revival, as if a baton was handed off to the Lord. And Jesus arrives on the scene, going about doing signs and wonders and miracles, teaching about the kingdom, and people were astounded at the truth they were hearing. Then after he died and resurrected, the third revival comes, which was Pentecost, which we just read. And this all happened in a period of three years continuous revival. But I want to connect Pentecost to another trilogy, and it's related to Moses and Solomon. And when God had told Moses to build the tabernacle, if you've studied in the Pentateuch, the the great detail that, that God gave to Moses about how to build this mobile tabernacle, there came a time when, after it was completely built, that Moses went to dedicate it. And in Exodus chapter 40, this is what we read. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The presence of God was so thick, so heavy that Moses could not even enter into the building. He could not even enter into this tent for the weight of it. What a moment in history, but what an endorsement and validation of what God was doing in the earth. Well, then we fast forward to when Solomon built a temple. Now remember, Moses built the temporary temple, which traveled with the Israelites. But after the Israelites came into the promised land, settled, then God allowed Solomon to build a permanent temple. And so he too did the same thing following the instructions that his father David gave him. And when it came time to dedicate the temple, this is what we read. The house of the Lord was filled with the cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. We see the exact same thing happening again. As the priests go in, God's endorsements, God's presence is so powerful that the priest could not even stand to minister. So these are the only times in the Old Testament where God poured out his glory like this. And both were related to God filling the temple. Now with the new covenant secured by Jesus' blood, there is a third temple. There's a new temple. Not a physical structure like Moses' tabernacle or Solomon's temple, but the new temple is the people of God we are God's temple in 1 Peter chapter 2 the apostle wrote you also are living stones are being built up as a spiritual house and Paul said in Ephesians you are fellow citizens with the saints growing into a holy temple in the Lord being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit and what does God do when he sees his temple We know now, he fills it with his glory. He can't help himself. He loves it. And Pentecost is God's glory being poured out on us. Three temples, three outpourings of glory. And the significance of what Pentecost is, it's insane. We are God's new headquarters. Before you had to go to Moses' tabernacle or you had to go to Solomon's temple, but we are now... God's new headquarters, it's not a fixed place in a geographical location corresponding to a set building. No, it's a brand new, mind-blowing paradigm. God's new headquarters is mobile and multiplied. It's tied to every individual believer in the world. Wherever we are, that's where His glory dwells, where His Holy Spirit is poured out. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit puts a premium on us walking in righteousness and sanctification and holiness because we're a dwelling place for the holiness of God. So the temple of God is now flesh and blood and not bricks and mortar. It's personal. It walks and eats and laughs tells jokes, mows the lawn, and burps after a great meal. The whole world can experience God, not because they have to travel someplace to see a temple, make some some kind of spiritual pilgrimage. No, they can experience God because he now sends the temple to them in the form of you and me, right into cubicles and knitting clubs and yoga workouts. It's the greatest distributive strategy the world has ever seen. One of my pastor friends put it this way, it's the democratization of God's glory. It's a mind-blowing concept. Now, officially, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. We just refer it to Acts like we shorten people's names from Jennifer to Jen or Thomas to Tom. But the full, complete name of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. But I want to offer another title to this book, and that's, it's the Acts of the People. This book is not just an unveiling of the apostles, it's an unveiling of the church. It's a picture of what the people become through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you see what the Holy Spirit does in and through them, it's an astounding picture. What we see here is a community that comes together. Acts chapter 2 says that they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. There is a zeal. There's a zealousness that's there. One of the things that we've been fighting in Canada is such a low spiritual temperature. People are blasé and passive about the Lord. There is no heat We take things in a very casual way. But when the Holy Spirit fell on this community in Jerusalem, there was a tremendous zeal that was stirred up in them. Scripture says in chapter 2 that they continually, day by day, with one mind, were in the temple. We have a hard time motivating people to get to one Bible study. Statistics say now that the average Christian goes to church only twice a month. This is so far away from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're being filled with other things. We're being filled with distraction. We're being filled with our own interests. We're being filled with our busy schedules. But the Holy Spirit wants to fill us afresh. And the outflow of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives is a fresh zeal, a fresh openness, a fresh generosity, sacrificial giving. These people were so excited about God, they said, You know what? It's more important than my property. And it says indeed that they began selling their homes and their possessions and making sure that anyone that had any need were taken care of. So there's this massive sense of family. Acts chapter 4 says that they would sell their homes and bring the proceeds and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. This was not a situation is, oh, let's worship the superstar pastors. Let's worship the celebrity pastors and make sure, you know, that we really trump them up and put them on a pedestal. No, all the proceeds that came in were to expand the kingdom to bless the people in the city. That's kingdom generosity. That's giving with a purpose. That's breaking the power of mammon. I love the fact that these These believers that were touched by the Spirit were so hungry for the Word of God. They wanted to grow in their Bible literacy. It says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I've shared this before, but remember again, they don't have the New Testament. They only have the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit was giving insight and revelation and understanding and new narratives about what the new covenant meant. And so as the Holy Spirit was teaching the apostles, the apostles were teaching the people, and they were hungry to receive God's truth and to be built up into this new covenant follower that Jesus had foreseen and prophesied about. There was this hunger for prayer, again, continually devoting themselves to prayer. You know, I've been privileged to go to China for many, many years to touch the revival that's been there. And the zeal that's there, it's amazing. Here you have a, a body of people that have been behind the, iron, uh, behind the bamboo curtain for almost 40 years, no Western missionaries. And what would happen? Many missiologists said, you know what, the church is going to die there. But the opposite happened because the Holy Spirit came on the Chinese people and began to breathe on them. And a zeal came out and a hunger for the word came out and a continuous devotion to prayer. We see here in Acts as well that there was a tremendous love for the poor. They built a social net for the widows. And the sense of outreach and proclamation of the gospel was so strong because the Bible says that daily people were being added to them. This is an amazing picture of the whole church, the acts of the whole church. And they reflect what a life baptized in the Holy Spirit looks like. That's why Paul says to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is kind of a fun word in the original Greek. It actually means to cram into, like fully cram in. Like if you're going to go to an ice cream place and you want, you, know, you buy a cone, you want the person serving you, just really push that ice cream down into the cone because you want as much as possible. And it's like the Holy Spirit is the best ice cream you can have. and You need to say to God, I want as much as you can give me. Just cram it in there. Till it's overflowing. Paul's like, be filled, be crammed with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's life is in us, these things that I just mentioned, community and zeal and giving and hunger, they naturally come out because you have the life of the Holy Spirit in you. That's really the great tension and the great battle that we have as modern Christians is to get more of the Holy Spirit into our lives. When we say empty ourselves, we're not saying it empty ourselves in the Eastern way of just becoming empty. But no, we empty ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can come in and fill us. And that Holy Spirit life naturally comes out in ways that we see here pictured in Acts. The Holy Spirit is the game changer. And did you know that Jesus loves to baptize us in the Holy Spirit? He loves to share what he possesses. He wants us to share the life and peace and power that he has. He's not stingy, holding on to his blessing like hiding his chocolate cake from us. No, he wants us to have it too. And did you know that Jesus started baptizing people in the Holy Spirit in the first trimester of his life? while he was still in the womb. And I'm not joking. In one sense, you could say Jesus started his life by baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, and he ended his life by baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. Jesus started baptizing people in the Holy Spirit when he was barely three months old in his mother's womb. And how many people know who was the first person that he baptized? Oh, yeah, that's right, John the Baptist. So this is a super fun passage. In Luke chapter 1, we have this little section in which Mary, the mother of Jesus, has just been told by the Gabriel angel that she's going to have an immaculate conception. And so she's going to go visit her cousin, her relative Elizabeth, who also was barren but now is pregnant. So in verse 36 it says, Gabriel speaking to Mary, Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So Elizabeth is in her second trimester, going into her third, and Mary is just in her first trimester. So at that time, Mary arose, went in hurried to the hill country, to a city of Judah, entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth, and then this wonderful scene, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow, a baby was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And Mary goes, Yeah! Yeah! I felt the exact same thing. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. The telltale sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is joy. And that joy brings power, which is what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our power or our strength. And this is what I want to aim us towards as a congregation, not just on Pentecost Sunday. This this whole thought of joy has just been coming to me stronger and stronger in this season of COVID. And more and more, I see how this is what God wants churches to have in a stronger and stronger measure, a fresh encounter with the joy of the Lord, which comes from being baptized in the Spirit. Joy is the highest currency of heaven. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The end product, the final expression of the kingdom is joy. Not just circumstantial joy. Not joy because you get a salary raise, Not joy because you're getting married. Not even joy because you have a having children. Joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a function of Him. It comes from Him. Enjoys is what Jesus had more than anyone else. It says in Psalm 45.7, King David referring to the Lord. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Jesus was the happiest person to ever live. He's a happy God. I'm so glad that I have a joyful Lord. And joy is what we need in the house. Acts two forty six day by day, continuing with one mind, they were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You know, when people come to our church, Lord willing, sooner than later, phase four comes and we can start all meeting again. Don't you want people to come to a place that's going to be joyful? You don't want it to be a place where it seems just kind of solemn and like a dirge. No, you want it to be an atmosphere that's crackling with joy. But we cannot work that up in ourselves. We cannot put smoke and lights on the stage and amp it up as if that's joy. That's not joy. That's just soulless joy. We want the joy of the Holy Spirit that's authentic and real. And the moment they come in, they touch something that they've never touched before because it can only come from the kingdom. Joy is what we need in the house. And joy is what God wants to do to create a magnet for the kingdom. I think part of what attracted the multitudes to Jesus was not just his teaching, not just his anointing, but his plain joy as in comparison to the Pharisees and Sadducees who were like prune. And joy changes our resting face. Literally, Proverbs fifteen thirteen: a joyful heart Makes a cheerful face. Now, my mom and dad have been working on me for 50 years on my resting face because I'm naturally serious. And I'm being serious about that. When I was a little toddler, my my parents would say, just don't be so serious, Rich, because I'd be deep in my own thoughts. And it's not like I'm mad. It's not like I'm not joyful. But I get into my own thoughts. And so, Holy Spirit, I've been saying, Lord, change my resting face. I don't want people to feel like I'm really hard to approach. It's just who I am. But the joy of the Lord changes our resting face. When people come into this place, they're not going to see a bunch of people. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to sidetrack for a second. Have you ever seen those Woody Allen movies where Woody Allen is looking into the mirror and trying? He's making all these different faces. Is there, a few, I like I say. Lord, why, why do my facial muscles just sag like this? Why, why can't they just be naturally, you know, just a smile? But the joy of the Lord is going to do that. The great blessing from Numbers chapter 6, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift upon you his countenance. When we are changed from glory to glory, when we see his face, our face becomes like his face. And his joy then becomes mirrored in our face. Joy is what we need for our journey and trials. This is what got Jesus all the way through to the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy is about an emotional disposition. God made us to be emotional people. And he wants us to feel that joy. And when we have joy, we can plow through the most difficult circumstances The fact that joy got Jesus through the most difficult human assignment in the world, taking on the sins of the world, going through such utter pain as we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was able to die on the cross as a sinless man tells you the power of joy. We are so far as a people from leveraging and understanding the power of joy. And this is the final expression of the kingdom. When the Holy Spirit is in you and you have the joy of the Lord, watch out. Because you're going to do so many things that you haven't been able to do before. Not because you have a performance coach. Not because you have a life coach that tells you how to live life. But because the life of God is in you and the river of God is flowing through you. So we need to open our minds to understand the power of the third person of the Trinity and what joy does in our life. Helps us get through the toughest of difficulties. Out of joy comes proclamation. Comes the preaching of the gospel. What was that tongues all about? Why was it a symbol of tongues? Because God wants to loose our mouth. It wasn't anointing that came on our hearts or our hands or our feet. No, it was about loosing our mouth so that we can declare the goodness of God. We can declare the gospel and joy Release this proclamation because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know in the natural, if you're happy about something, if you love a great dessert, drank a great coffee, went to a wonderful restaurant, you naturally go tell people because you're excited about that. From joy comes boldness, no fear of man. Acts chapter 4, it says that when they were threatened with their lives and imprisonment, They prayed to the Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Every week I'm on a Zoom chat with a bunch of other pastors and we were sharing stories this past week. And this pastor was sharing how he was asked to speak at a citywide leadership meeting and he had never gone there before. And this group invited him and they were hyper, hyper prosperity group. He got picked up in a Rolls Royce, and God told him, I need you to preach a different gospel to them. And so he is just preaching away, and he said, the more I preached, the more they were literally grinding their teeth. And rather than shrinking from their anger, he said, literally, they were grinding their teeth, and he said, the more I preached, the more the anointing came. (laughs) It's like God was doubling down. And speaking through him. From that joy comes a boldness and no fear of man. Last week we talked about mental health. In Isaiah chapter 61, there's a connection between joy and mental health. The Isaiah, uh, Isaiah the prophet said, The oil of gladness will replace a spirit of mourning. The mantle of praise will replace a spirit of fainting when we feel afflicted and brokenhearted and captivated and in prison, the anointing comes to break the yoke, the anointing of joy. Joy is what revival looks like. It is impossible for the kingdom to come and there not be joy because that's the atmosphere of heaven. That's who God is. Now, this is a joy that's meant for all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every color, every race. This is one of the signature features of Pentecost, that it was poured out on all flesh, breaking out from the Jewish people to touch all the races of the world. This is what I highlighted earlier when I read chapter 2, verse 5. Devout men from every nation under heaven was there to witness Pentecost and to experience Pentecost. And let me say this as clearly as I can. The church is to be a place of welcome and integration, not discrimination. And that love for all peoples must be reflected inside every single one of us. Racism has zero, capital Z, capital E, capital R, capital O, has zero place in the kingdom. Now I say this in light of the killing of George Floyd that has overtaken America in the last 72 hours. I didn't think that there could be a headline that could surpass COVID, but this killing has. If you haven't seen the footage, just go look it up on the internet. George Floyd, a black man, was killed because a white policeman put his knee on George's neck for eight minutes to keep him on the ground, even though George was handcuffed with his arms behind his back. As a result of that excessive force on his neck, George died. It was a completely senseless killing of a black man by a white policeman. And as a result, riots and protests have erupted in over 30 cities all across America. Why such rage and anger and vitriol? Because of the systemic racism against black that it represents. For the last three days, I've been in mourning and in despair. At the horrible, disgusting, reprehensible actions of the police. Not to mention that this happened in my hometown of Minneapolis. Many of you texted me, asked me how my kids are doing in Minneapolis. Thank you for your concern. My two girls live 20 miles away from actually where all the riots are occurring. But when I was Going to graduate school in Minneapolis, I lived literally five minutes away from where all the violence is happening. I lived in the highest crime neighborhood in Minneapolis, had my house broken into, my car broken into, and so that area is a, is a tough place. But this is not the Minneapolis that I know, where I started my ministry and pastored for 13 years, where all four of my kids were born in the same hospital, on the same floor, Where the Scandinavians that are so prevalent in in Minneapolis air, they opened their hearts wide to me and took me in as their pastor. It's the home of the Minnesota Vikings and the Minnesota Twins that won two Baseball World Series, the Mall of America. It's the state of giant mosquitoes and bitterly cold but beautiful crisp winters. And so when people are seeing these images of Minneapolis, I go, no, that's, that's not the city I know. It's like when the Canucks, right? They lost the finals of the Stanley Cup and a rioting breaks out downtown and the whole world sees that and we're all saying, no, that's, that's not our Vancouver. <coughs> I can't even put into words my sadness around what's happened. Yet another overt and explicit, explicit racist act against an African-American. How many more deaths do we need to endure? On top of it, there's now clear evidence that much of the destruction was not just protest-based, but organized criminal activity coordinated by anarchists, white supremacists, and drug cartels. So in Minnesota, they estimate that of the protesters, only 20% are actually from Minnesota. And they get this from the license plates of those who are coming into the state and they're not from Minnesota. So as if racism killing wasn't enough, now we're adding exploitation to tragedy. Is this not proof that the heart of man is desperately wicked and needs salvation? George Floyd is not just a black issue, it's a human issue. What if George Floyd was a Chinese or an East Indian or Jewish or Arab? This is not acceptable in any form. Racism is the antithesis of the gospel message and the kingdom of God. Jesus died for all men, all people, all colors. So our first responsibility is to make sure that our hearts are filled with God's pure love and that we root out every vestige of racism in our lives. I was so exercised, so saddened by this, I thought about changing my message completely and preaching on racism. But in the end, it seemed better to preach on the baptism of his presence than the baptism of violence and racism that's in front of us. There's too much despair. We need the hope of the gospel. Jesus loves all races. And that's what I want in my heart. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever. This phrase where Jesus told the apostles, wait on me has become really, really precious to me during this COVID season. I've had extra time. I've spent more time just waiting on God. And the picture that's come to me is like I'm an old ox in the field. And the master is behind just bidding the ox to do the plowing. And and I'm just like that old ox. I just want the tap on the shoulder, plow right, plow left. I just want to do God's will, whether it's small or whether it's big. There's there's a brokenness that's inside of me. I don't want to be the wild donkey in the field tromping around. I just want to do what God wants me to do. And that's that place of waiting on him, hearing from him, being filled from him. And that's the invitation of Pentecost is, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced what the apostles and early church experienced? Do you want joy in your life, the currency of heaven? Do you want zeal and hunger? Do you want to overcome sin? Maybe the solution is so simple. It's just to wait on God and ask him to continually fill you with the spirit. So those things that bind you will snap. Do you want the third person of the Trinity flowing like a river in your life? Do you want to be a temple that's filled with God's glory. I'd like for Ben to come on up. I'm going to close here. You know, it's very easy to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it comes from Jesus. And Jesus majors on giving us good gifts. If we ask for fish he won't give us a snake if we ask for an egg he won't give us a scorpion it comes from him not from the devil not from anything else so we know the source is good we know the source is pure and then the Lord tells us go to your upper room it's a place of waiting it's a place of expectation yeah Lord you're going to do something that's going to be so powerful and when the Holy Spirit comes and you pray in another language, it's a tongue of joy. It's, it's a river that just flows out of us. And it seems so right because it's our spirit talking with God. And we are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. So let's just take a moment here, turn to the Lord. Holy Spirit come. Some of us may see afresh, maybe for the first time, how the Holy Spirit can be the answer to many of the things that we're struggling. We've been thinking about different steps that we can take to do this or that, when in fact we need the person of the Holy Spirit. We need that baptism to come into our lives. There are some of you that have been battling just mental gymnastics, thoughts that have entangled you. The Holy Spirit's going to give you His mind. There's some of you, you feel like there's a, a, been chains around your heart. You've thrown the key away. You don't want anyone to touch your heart. But the Holy Spirit's going to come and warm you and touch you and bring you to a place where you can be vulnerable because you know that the Holy Spirit, Spirit will be your father and protector. Maybe there's some of you that have prayed to be filled with the Spirit before and you feel like, I just, I can't get there don't try so hard just let it happen be like a child Father we thank you for the glorious day that Pentecost was 2,000 years ago and how you're doing it over and over Lord right now around the globe churches and people God are experiencing the Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way let it be a new empowering let it be a new equipping God for your church that when we come forth from COVID, God, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. The joy of the Lord will change our resting face. The joy of the Lord will be that key characteristic that's in our midst. Lord, that we will be that tabernacle and that temple that goes around into the highways and byways, into our neighborhoods and cul-de-sacs, God, and people say, what is it that you have? There's a different spirit that you have. And indeed, We have a different spirit because we've been baptized by the Spirit. And if you feel just a river bubbling up in you, I encourage you to just pray in your heavenly language and to exercise it and practice it this week. Feel free to reach out to me, email me, say, Pastor Rich, that baptism came upon me. I'm so excited. Just reach out to me so I can encourage you and walk with you. So Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning, God, that you are aiming us at joy. You're aiming us at your life. You're aiming us, God, at your power. Thank you for your great love for us, your people, your sons and daughters, that the glory that you have, you are sharing with us. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Blessings to all this week. Hope you have a great week. Stay safe. And as we uh, get good sunny weather, make sure to continue to practice social distancing. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday.